Welcome to Media Path. I'm Fritz Coleman. And I am Louise Planker. With one week until the election, we at Media Path are proud to remind you that we are conspiracy free media. You can trust our information. And you can trust that our guests have been thoroughly vetted, like today's guest, my good friend, Don McMillan, an amazing comedian who just had a successful series of weeks on America's Got Talent. We're looking forward to talking to Don about what that experience was like and how it changed his life. And I know it did because he's filling venues all over America. Don's going to be with us in just a few minutes. Wheezy, what do you have for us this week? Okay, so I've been reading. Have you tried that for a I, I'm a I'm a avid reader. Okay, excellent. So this was a book I read. Actually, I read a book. It's called Ordinary Grace by William Kent Kruger. Ordinary Grace is a New York Times bestseller from William Kent Kruger about a particularly chilling and illuminating 1961 small town summer for 13 year old Frank Drum. I offer you a quote. You'll find this quote on the Amazon page. I'm lifting this quote just so that it's credited properly. That was it. That was all of it. A grace so ordinary, there was no reason at all to remember it. Yet, I have never, across the 40 years since it was spoken, forgotten a single word. What a great line. It is. Wow. It's, there's tons of gems like that throughout the book, just so this gentle wisdom throughout the book. The drums are Frank, his awkward and brilliant little brother, Jake, his musically gifted sister, Ariel, his passionately artistic mother, and his Methodist minister, Father. Their collective mission is ministering to the needs of others, but when tragedy strikes at home, the family fabric is stretched and tested, revealing secrets, twists, adultery, betrayal, and a deep wisdom painfully pulled to the surface in young Frank. Told from Frank's perspective, 40 years beyond that impactful summer, Ordinary Grace is a brilliantly moving account of a boy standing at the doorway of adult understanding and trying desperately to fix and make sense of a world that is falling apart around him. This book poses the question, when a child becomes aware of the world's complexities, contradictions, hypocrisies, and atrocities, how does he process these enormous concepts, and how can the adults in his world best ease his understanding and compassion? Ordinary Grace is by William Kent Kruger. Wow, it sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's a great book. All right, I'm going to talk about Vengeance. This is the new uh, B.J. Novak movie, his directorial debut. It's streaming on Prime Video and Peacock right now. Novak is a writer and director and actor and a comic. Matter of fact, he acted, directed, and wrote on The Office for many years. His character was Ryan. He's got a really interesting comic voice that shows up in this film. He calls it an American Western neo-noir mystery black comedy. He's the lead. He plays a journalist and a podcaster who travels from New York to Texas to investigate the death of a woman who he previously had hooked up with. It also stars Issa Rae and Ashton Kutcher. The movie begins with whip-smart comic repartee between his character and a great cameo with guitar legend John Mayer. Then it morphs into a culture clash between New York and Texas, sort of a social satire getting into our current cultural and political divides, and it ends up as a mystery thriller. It's fun and smart, and it's got some interesting plot twists. I I really loved it. I think he's going to be a great filmmaker in the future. Yes, I believe in BJ. In fact, BJ and I are open mic mates. So yeah, you we, told me that. That's we, amazing. I didn't know he was doing stand-up. And that, and I can call, you, you remember your open mic mates, right, Don? I mean, that's oh, like always. a thing. Yeah. You're like, when one well, of them does really well. I always saw that. When they, especially when they always do better than you. Yes, I yes. never forget those guys. <laughs> yep. Like, I always called it for BJ. We knew that guy. That's had right. It. I that knew guy. it. Yep. 
That All guy, right, yeah. let me introduce this guy. Sure. Our guest today has been my friend for years. We have done many, many shows together. As a matter of fact, I just opened for him at Levity Live, which is the old improv in Oxnard. He packed the room and then proceeded to bring the house down around the crowded room. He's one of the smartest, most interesting acts. He's an engineer by trade and uses those skills to convulse the audience with a PowerPoint presentation that ain't like the PowerPoint presentation you were forced to watch about sexual harassment at Human Resources. <laughs> He's been deemed America's number one rated corporate comic. There are many wonderful clips on YouTube from his America's Got Talent experiences and his recently recorded Dry Bar special, Treat Yourself, and look him up on YouTube. Don McMillan, we're so glad you're here. How are you, my friend? Oh, my God, I, I can't live up to that intro. I have to go away. Well, something has to be good about <laughs> the show. Way better than... get... I know. Well, you just got off the road last night, right? You, you were coming home when I called you on the phone. I was in uh, I was in New York City doing a big old corporate gala gig in the Hilton Ballroom in New York. Wow. Yeah. How, how many dates a year do you do? Honest to God, I don't know anybody that's on the road more than you. Uh, I do about 50 corporate shows a year. And then in between that, I fill in with comedy clubs. So I'm I'm I do three or four shows a week at least. Can I share with you my favorite joke please. that nobody's going to know because it was a corporate date? Oh, can yes, I, can I, do... <laughs> I, I just I, I have to share this joke because I thought it was a great joke. I, I actually did this thing at the, this gala in New York City for the Wings Club, which is the aviation CEOs, all the big wigs from Boeing and Airbus and United and Delta. And they inducted this guy, Bill Frankie, who was the the, the pioneer of ultra low cost airlines. He started Spirit and De and um, America West and uh, um, Frontier. That's he, he's famous for how low cost airlines, right? So big gala. My first joke was we're here to celebrate Bill Frankie at tonight's gala. So your dinner is free, but your fork will be 40 extra dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent joke. And, and I couldn't share that with anybody. You know, like that's a private event. I, ha I now it's I let it no, free really on your show. So there you go. But I, I would think that your comedy lends itself to specifics, huh. so that wherever you go, you're able to like weave in all those specifics that just make people howl. I love that's my favorite thing to do. Are you kidding? Yeah. Ask, ask Fritz. I write something special everywhere I go. He customizes and uses pictures of executives, and it's really <laughs> wonderful. And, and let me. I don't. I don't want to mess this story up. I'm going to get you to tell it. But you have a great story about early in your corporate career you yeah. were invited to perform at ibm for like ten thousand people and nobody knew who you were so they advertised you as the vice president of human resources who was just going to oh, come yeah. out on stage to update people on the <laughs> state of human resources and you launch into this powerpoint am i right about that oh yeah no I, i've done a bunch of times but that, that was early on before knew anybody knew who i was because i worked in the corporate world and i watched enough of these speakers who can just you know spin a yarn for 45 minutes with no valuable information <laughs> um that uh i got up there and i said i i swear at this one too fritz i could have gone the full 45 minutes because i was just making stuff up <laughs> about well first i i worked on you know interpersonal skills so i gave them all the ins and outs of powerpoint and how you too many things on the slide and they were people were taking notes i was telling <laughs> jokes and they were taking notes there is some useful stuff in there yeah I i've watched it yeah yeah, the, actually, my uh, my one video, Life After Death by PowerPoint, is, and it was not made for this purpose. It's used in trainings all over America because I basically just take the uh, behaviors of people who give horrible PowerPoint presentations and I just I call them out on it. 
uh, yeah, too many bullet points, too many animations. And, and it turned out to be a good comedy bit and apparently humiliates people into making better PowerPoints. So it's I'm, I, I'm helping I, the world. Yeah, no, yeah, you absolutely are, because I one of my PowerPoint uh, peeves is when there's too much text on the screen, because I, as an ADD person, I cannot read and listen oh, yeah. to what you're saying at the same time. Those don't both track. So, yes, it should be one or two words. And then what you say should and there's, be. Yeah. And, and Louise, there's people like you who actually read the whole slide. It amazes me. Oh, yeah. We, if there's writing in front of us, we read. I'll read your T-shirt. I'll read what's on the bumper sticker <laughs> of the car in front of me. I will read. When I was first learning how to read, I drove my mother crazy by reading every sign we went by. So, yeah. Once you teach. Well, a, my favorite a, thing, and this happens at least two or three times a year. Somebody will send me an email after a show and go, you know, during your presentation on slide 54, your numbers do not add up to 100 percent on your chart. <laughs> And I'll go and check, and they're right. I'm going, how did you even, I've been doing that slide for two years, I never noticed that. How did you notice that in the five seconds it was on, this, on the screen? Well, they, they paused it. Your, your material, um, both the spoken part of it and the visual part of it is different. That's why I love it. That's why I like to work with you. You and I are totally different, and we make an interesting show that way. Oh, uh, I love working with you. Yeah. Oh, you're also, uh, you're both really good at holding little clickers and advancing things. <laughs> Yeah, but I'll tell you what, uh, that's another thing I want to talk about. Unlike a typical monologist who exaggerates reality, you look at something very logically, and then your engineer's brain takes over, and many times a series of Venn diagrams and you parse a topic like an engineer. It's like you find the humor from another part of your brain than a typical comedian does, and that's what makes it so hysterical because it's not as predictable as many monologists are. It's really Yeah, no, it it, it comes from the true engineering part of my brain, which yeah. most comics don't have, <laughs> which is, true. and if you think about it, what, what, what do we love to complain about as humans? Things that don't work correctly, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And what do engineers do? We think we fix things that don't work correctly. And so if I look at something, I, I get observation like, why do you have carpool lanes in LA? Nobody wants to be in a carpool lane in LA. And then I think of a better way. How about a cell phone lane? How about a lane where if you're on your cell phone, you have to get in that. I come up with a solution <laughs> right away because my brain immediately goes to fixing things, which most comics don't. So I think that's what really separates. I, 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 I you know, I was an engineer for what, 20 years. So I can't help that. And right. I just tap into it. So you're a Stanford solved. graduate. You worked in Silicon Valley. You ain't playing around, but you decided to lower yourself and become a professional comedian. Well, you must <laughs> have always known that you were smart. Did you also always know that you were funny? I actually didn't know either. I, I, I swear to you, I went to a really good high school and I thought I was mediocre. I really did. And it wasn't until I got to college that I realized that uh, I actually was pretty smart. And uh, so, but in high school, because I wasn't didn't really stand out, I, I did manage to make people laugh. So it, it, the, 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 bit, the, the comedy part of me started in high school. But then once I got to college, I, I think my brain figured out how to take tests and how to I just I somehow figured it out. And I was really good at college. I it was like number one in my class in college, which I was not in high school. I wasn't. I, I, I who knows why? Who knows why our brain grows the way it does? Right. Right. But um, I, it, and then both combined sometime in my late 20s. I have I, I hit my head or something and they mixed in and I became an engineer comedian. I have no idea how that happened. I really don't. But you're, you're so brave for another reason. And that is that you're relying on computer technology to work in front of thousands of people. 
And yeah. your your I've seen it happen. Your computer doesn't do what it's always supposed to do, and it crashes in the middle of the show. And Happened. then you just do straight stand up, and you're wonderful at that. But that's a scary thing when stuff isn't going where it's supposed to in your computer in the middle of a show. It, it, it's it. In fact, during uh, America's Got Talent this year, in the roast of Simon, uh, luckily it was pre-taped. It wasn't live to America. My the the computer just basically shut off, and you don't see it because they edit it out. And I just went to my last joke, which ended up being a great joke. But I, I, you know, as an engineer, I prepare for that. I, I go, if something happens, what do I, I have a go-to. I always have a second and a third plan. It's just the way I am. Ask my wife. I am not fun to live with. Ask my wife. <laughs> you pass out mimeograms. So, Sorry, please refer. I want to talk to you about America's Got Talent. All right. Because, first of all, to me, it seems, any, any competitive situation for a comedian seems like a gut-wrenching experience. I think part of the reason why I, 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 I like comedy is because I'm on stage alone. I'm only responsible for my own thoughts and words. I'm not competing with another person in my cubicle for the best sales numbers of the year. There's nothing competitive about it. You compete with yourself. But to go in an, a, an experience like that where you're competing against other acts just seems horrifying. But then I talked to you about it and you just loved it. Well, first of all, you owned the audience. The audience was fantastic to you. Even when Simon was denigrating you, the audience loved you. So talk about that experience, what it was like. Yeah, they were they were chanting at him, uh, put him through, put him through. <laughs> they were very much on my side. Uh, you know, uh, um, yeah, I, I did. I've always been a good competition comic. I won the uh, San Francisco comedy competition way back in the early stages of my career in uh, 93. And uh, and that was just a meat grinder. It's over three and four weeks at multiple venues and 30, 20 comics. Lots and, of talented uh, and, people in San Francisco too. Oh, and just amazing comics. And I think back then I learned, um, and you know, as I, you, you know too, I'm a golfer and golfing's very much the same to me. I, I might be playing an opponent in golf, but what am I really playing is the course. I'm really playing the course. So I don't look at it as I'm trying to beat other comics. I'm trying to take this crowd, this golf course, and do the best I can with this in front of me. And if that happens to be better than somebody else, you, that's not for me to judge. I just try to look at, I just try to focus on how do I take this crowd to a place that, that they get more laughs than they did before I started. And that's the way I view it. I, I like if somebody beats me in a competition and believe me, I've lost. I didn't win America's Got Talent. I never hold it against him. I don't think they're funnier than me or they're better than me. It's just, man, that's I, I, I've done this enough. And, you know, there's great crowds. There's good crowds. There's crowd on your side. There's crowds. That are on your side. It's just it just you, you want to do the best you can do mm -hmm. in that moment. And that's how I, that's all I focus. So on. go back to the you know, talk about the audition process. The first time you went in there and how, how does that work? Well, they had seen my dry bar. So they were interested in me um, because I was clean. And uh, Explain so they, what uh, a dry bar is. Oh, a dry bar is, is this online comedy club that's filmed in Utah. And it's called dry bar because it's all clean comedy, no alcohol in the building. It's Utah. It's Utah, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, they look for comics who are, are family friendly. So they, they when they found me, they were like, you're perfect for the show. Come do it. And I did it. And then America's Got Talent, I think, looks there because, again, family friendly. They can find good comics. Um so when they saw me, they 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 saw my dry bar and they said, uh, you know, it's a negotiation with America's Got Talent. I don't think I'm giving away the 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 the, uh, the story here, but they they're like, I like, I want to do this joke, this joke, this joke, this joke, and I and they go, oh, we like that one, that one, that one, and I go, well, how about this one, this one? And I negotiated the set and then put it together, and then I waited 
this was the hardest part of America's Got Talent. You wait forever. I waited like eight weeks. They kept scheduling me and rescheduling me. Okay, we're going to put you on here, put you on there. That is the hardest mm-hmm. emotional part of it because you try to gear yourself up for a live television show or an audition. And then they go, twice they called me. In fact, once I went down to Pasadena where they film it, sat there all day and they went, oh, we don't have time in the show. Can you come back next Saturday? I'm like, oh my God, I lost like, I lost like 15 pounds through this ordeal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so then, then I do the audition and Simon votes against me and the other three vote for me. And, but I was happy, the set was great. It, I was, couldn't, it couldn't have gone any better. All the jokes worked. I got, it was, I was thrilled. If that had ended right there, I would have went, ah, great. But then they went, well, we think you're going to come back, but we don't know. Eight weeks go by again. Oh, oh you're going to come back. You're not going to come back. You're going to go. I swear, Fritz, as you saw me during then, I must have looked like I was going running a marathon because I was like, oh, this is the roller coaster from hell. I just remember you not being able to talk about anything because you're sworn to see. Yeah. And they, because they won't commit to you. They won't say you're on the show or they won't on the show. You're just you just don't know. Until like the week before, and then they go, okay, you're on next Tuesday. And Wait, then you but I don't understand, though, because if you said that three of them voted you through, how is there some question as to whether or not you're on the show? Yeah, I, good question, Louise. You're doing your... Ma- See, <laughs> I had the same question. I go, they voted me through. Well, this season, uh, the judges voted 155 people through, and there were only 36 spots. <laughs> what? Is not good planning. <laughs> we need to put that in a pie chart. <laughs> that is. So they yeah. decided. It's this overbooked. Is, this is the other. What was that? They've overbooked themselves. They were they were behaving as an airline. Yeah. Yes. And then they they had to reschedule us on other flights. <laughs> <laughs> so then they decided they had voted so many through they felt bad and they couldn't decide so they changed the rules midstream and decided they would put fifty five people through and do five weeks of semifinals instead of his quarterfinals and semifinals. But then there would be 11 acts, five weeks of 11 acts, but only two would go through, which in the end kind of is why I didn't do better because it's just amazing. There's some amazing, how do I compete against 55 women dancing in unison, making, I mean, it's, I don't even know how I compete against mm-hmm. that. It, it was, they were the ones who won the show. So I have a, I have a backstage uh, question about that, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I'm sure all AGT watchers have. So where is everyone and their dancing dogs housed? <laughs> and does the food get better as the buffet line gets shorter? <laughs> the, uh, we, we all are in the same room. It is in <laughs> fact, very surreal. Wow. <laughs> Because you're in there with jugglers, contortionists, a 14-year-old girl and her dogs. And, and I'm just looking around the room and I'm going, this is a some kind of weird Italian, you know, art film oh, yeah. I'm in. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's clockwork orange with uh, It really acts. is. Yeah. And and then they go, okay, now go be funny. And uh, But are the and, other and, acts supportive of you as you're performing? I mean, yes. was there sort of a spirit of camaraderie? There definitely was. And, and I think it's because we weren't all comedians or singers and... Everybody else can honestly, I think, honestly say, you know, what you do is amazing. It's nothing like me. So I can say that to you, so, you know, mm-hmm. so they were very, very supportive. Everybody was really cool. Actually, the acts were cool. And they all know we're going through this hellish thing. So 
they're they're all kind of like, wow, did they do that to you? Oh yeah, they did that to me. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it, it's it's a meat grinder. That's what my wife and I call it. It's a meat grinder. Well, you know, I've I've learned this from uh, America's Got Talent and American Idol that you don't have to yeah. win to win, and that was you. You were on there a series of weeks, and you became one of the audience favorites because yeah. I found this article online, and it was the first reaction I'd heard to your performance, and you were voted like number one or number two in audience. Uh, support even though you didn't win the thing and I texted it to you and I said this is fantastic of course it has nothing to do with the outcome of the show but no. it does in introducing you and your talent to America and oh it's I, made it's made an amazing impact it I, really I, 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 I know it has because I'll tell you what Levity Live Levity Live for those of you who don't know bought all the improvs it used to be an improv is in Oxnard California <laughs> the, the teeming metropolis of Oxnard, California. And it's a huge venue for Oxnard. It's like 500 seats. You packed the place out. People were there early. I thought, wow, the impact of that show is really amazing. You you built an amazing fan base. Way more than I would have guessed it. Uh, I, I didn't know that many people watched America's Get Talent. I watched it because I had friends on it and it's interesting, but I didn't. I, 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 you know, I've been traveling a lot. I serious. I mean, I've been doing a lot. I've been doing stand up for 30, 25, 30 years. And I've done some national commercials and some television. Never have I been recognized as much as after America's Got Talent. I walk down Chicago, and now they come up to me and go, you're that chart guy. I'm the chart guy now. You're that guy with the charts. Good. That's America's okay. Got if they talent. can put a handle on your act, that's fantastic. You also yeah. sold out the Irvine Improv, which I think is even bigger than the one in Oxnard. So that's a great sign. I'm so happy. And there's another thing about you, that you are one of those guys who everybody supports and when you hear that he's having some success you say yes they because you're truly one of the nicest people in the business and you you're, you're friends with everyone so there's sort of universal support for your you know they people lift you up and watch you uh, fly it's, re it's really been fun to watch the reaction i i really think that was the uh the most humbling part of this uh when i got on the show and i would let people know to vote and things like that People just turned up out of the woodwork who I hadn't talked to in years, some corporate people I'd worked with, comics I worked with when I was open mic days, and would send me messages going, yeah, Don, I mean, it just was... That's really cool. You know, it, it was one of those things where uh, you forget how many people you've touched through the years, and it became obvious to me how many people I've, you know, have supported me and I've supported them, and it just was really... It made me really appreciate uh, all of my years in comedy. And uh, I, if anybody's listening right now, who, who I've worked, thank you. It was, it was amazing. It was humbling. It was infant. That was the best part of it, really was. Okay, now that we've uh, schmoozed you up really good, <laughs> do you have any good anecdotes? Any good? I mean, I know you, you probably signed a non-disclosure agreement, but is there anything, any interesting little side notes you can talk about in the production of the show? Uh, let's see. Oh, that's a good, it's a good question, actually. Uh, uh, boy, I can't, I, there's nothing like, yeah, uh, 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 the only thing I can tell you is that, um, we must have filmed, this is what I really, and, and by the way, this made me feel better about my comedy. I'm going to preface it by saying that when any comic, if you're thinking of going to the show or singer or any kind of act realize that it's not just about your talent. This is a reality show. Oh, no, okay? they're building a TV show. That's oh, and it is. it was so obvious when you're in it. They are building a story around you. We must have filmed six hours worth of video, of which they used a minute and a half in my prepackaged pit, where they 
they basically make this make your character and then they fit it into their show and it's over it's actually impressive at the same time it's kind of scary because you realize they're in control but um but uh, I mean, like this, the stuff with engineering and the, uh, they wanted to work that in there, but they wanted to work my son in there. And the way they, they did it was was really, really interesting. As a nerd, as a nerd, I was like, wow, this process is pretty amazing. Did they come to your house and shoot in your personal life and stuff? Oh, yeah. They came. They came, interviewed my son and my wife and didn't use any of it, by the way, somebody, not most of it. Um, but they're really they're really making a story. It's a it's as much a, a, a scripted show. Uh, before you perform as it is anything. so Right, because I, uh, I think they have these formulas that they know work to have you relatable, to have a certain segment of the population say, I know a guy like that, I know that guy, I understand, I can't believe this is all this is happening for him, I'm rooting for him, because, you know, yeah. my nephew's an engineer, and, you know, it's just like, it, with the comedians, I think especially they can kind of build this sort of like like a sitcom, they can just build a character that folks would really get, because they, they know that guy. I'll share this with you. Here's an inside story. I do have one. Yeah. And I don't I don't think they'll be upset for me telling this story. But <laughs> but it is the one edit that they made, which I found very interesting. And Fritz, you and I have talked about how of all people, I I don't think I'm a politically incorrect comic at all. Absolutely at all. Not. But when I do corporate, there's sometimes they take jokes out. And I'm always interested when they take a joke out, like, how are you because I didn't mean it that way. How are you seeing it? So they took one joke out of my audition that I I still to this day. If you really think about it, it, they don't need to do it. They're being overly cautious. So I do a joke about the fact that there's uh, 1.4 billion people in China and there's 7 billion people on Earth. Therefore, statistically, one out of every five babies born on Earth are, in fact, Chinese. So you could say, and you would not be lying, if you've got four kids, you're expecting a fifth, it will be Chinese. <laughs> okay. That's Now, I don't think that's at all at all. No, it's a math offensive. joke. It's that's not a, 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 it's a, it's a statistics joke yeah. that is in fact ridiculous because that's not how statistics work. Yes. Um, and But some, I could see how someone somewhere sitting in a corner would go, why that's anti-Chinese, isn't it? I go, I never said it was a problem. A trigger thing. It's, it's uh, That's where we are now. That's what I was going to ask you about. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, what about the censors? And I mean, we're such in such a culturally sensitive moment now. They're probably being overly cautious. I think maybe if you had tagged it with, and of course that Chinese kid will be your favorite, but won't be very good at driving, but we'll get into college. <laughs> You know, if you had just tagged it, like to make it like you go, okay, let's really make it offensive. <laughs> go, let's just swing for the bleachers. Don't bitter patter. Go over the line all the way. Come on. So and another um, one of my jokes. Yeah. In fact, I think, Fritz, did you send this to me? The one that said called me a dark comic. Did you no, send me that one? No. Oh, another one of my statistics jokes was uh, 44% of marriages end in divorce, and that sounds so scary, right? 44, do we have a 44%? Think of the other side. If 44% of marriages end in divorce, 56% of marriages end in death. Now, <laughs> it's just a silly little joke. Mm -hmm. There's one guy who wrote this huge article about how, oh, Don McMillan goes to the dark side talking about how marriage is death. I'm like, that's not what I said. <laughs> I think some of the, I think that that's the funniest part of your act, your headline act, is when you talk about your relationship with your wife, but you boil it down to science and physics, and you've got charts and graphs, and it's hysterical. You're talking about the same thing that everybody feels in their lives. You just make you make it mathematical, which is just. Funny. I try. I try to. I try to model it in in, in a way that engineers uh, would uh, and break it down. Right. If you break it down, you can figure out a solution. 
And so far, when it comes to relationships, it seems unsolvable to me. Can I just say that right now? It's well. Sometimes the graphics, there is no solution. The graphic will just make you laugh out loud. Like you know where you're going. Like I walk into the mall, I buy my cargo <laughs> shorts, I walk back out. But then as soon as you pop on the screen, your wife's the trajectory of your wife. I just laughed out loud yeah, because she went into every store, and you just—it's like the scribble of it makes that's you laugh. That's how she does it. And I think that the humor comes from the fact that he sat and thought out this trajectory. Yeah. On his own. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. So I, I have a, um, a technology problem that happened to me last night. And I was thinking, oh, like, that? you know, because you have, you know, you're college trained. I thought maybe you could help not not me, but like the whole smoke detector industry, you know, maybe come up with some some solutions that would save lives, not not because I was going to die in a fire, but because I was going to throw myself out a window <laughs> If the beeping didn't stop. Okay, so I know I, this problem. Yeah. So last night I come home to the ear piercing tones of a beeping. I changed the batteries in all of my smoke detectors still with the beeping. I tend to remove the smoke detectors from the walls. The beeping continues. Plaster crashes down on me as I shock myself, desperately cutting wires to fully disconnect the smoke detectors. Oh. The beeping taunts me still, emanating, it seems, from inside my walls. It's midnight. I'm frantically calling 24-hour electricians. The incessant beeping has low lowered my IQ to around 40 and I'm screaming to try and drown it out. But then the screaming is interrupted by the crying and the sobbing. But there was a moment within the madness that I moved an ottoman to look at the carbon monoxide detector that was plugged into an outlet there. This yep. was the offender. I changed the backup battery and put an end to the horror. The beeping of these devices is so damn loud that you are unable to discern from where the sound is emanating. We're just frantic fools stumbling around with Kleenex stuffed in our ear. Is there not a technologically superior way to alert me that I need to change a battery? I have two things to say about this. Okay. One is I have a great story about it. And two is I literally just came up with a solution. <gasps> literally okay. just now, as you were telling the story, I went, I know how to fix this. I'll tell you how to fix it. <laughs> I'll tell you how to fix it. Okay. Make each detector in your house <clears throat> have a different sound. Yeah, like a ringtone. Yes. The, what, the so squawking when cat it goes one, off, you go, monster. oh, that's that one. Or that's that one. In fact, today, chips are so cheap, you could actually say number one, number one. And you know that's number one. Number two, number two. You can, this is an easy fix. I can't believe they haven't fixed Me this. Me too. I can't idea. believe. And so the other thing is like if you're in the hospital and one of the fluids is, is has, you know, dripped <laughs> itself out, it starts dinging next to your bed. Why is it? I don't know how to change this bag. Why is it not dinging at the nurse's station? So uh. with the smoke detector, I think that when the battery is low, my electrician should receive the alert <laughs> and then schedule an appointment. <laughs> I, it, this doesn't have to be my business. I don't have to sit through this hell. Why isn't there someone I could hire that would please? Uh, well, yeah, I, I want to tell you the smoke detector story. I don't know if this is that funny, but it's absolutely true. So my parents are, lived in New Jersey, and I used to go visit them all the time. And I'd go visit them, and I, I'm sitting in their kitchen, and I hear this cricket. And I go, well, what's with the cricket? They go, it's somewhere in the living room. It's been there for like six months. We don't know who it, where it is. We looked all over for it. Wow. I go in, I move, we move all the furniture, all the furniture we move around. We can't find this stupid cricket, which only chirps every couple of minutes. Finally, I'm I, like the third time I visited them and this cricket's driving me crazy. I lift up a pile of stuff on their, their uh, table and there's a smoke detector in there. And I go, it's not a cricket, it's smoke detector. <laughs> wow. And my dad just about 
destroyed this much. Just he took it wow. and he was just like holding it and shaking. <laughs> That's a true story. They just they're they're so enraging. Mm-hmm. They're trying they really to are. keep you alive, but they're yeah. shaving years they're off really your life to wake you up. You know, with the stupid. aggravate. Yeah, and this was at midnight, you guys. I get back to my, yeah. I'm calling 24 hour, you know, electricians. I'm like, I've got my husband on the phone. I'm crying, you know, because it really, it just gets inside your head. It makes you, for me anyway, like that's a trigger that makes me lose my mind. It's so. Dude, that's a good one. I might have to do a smoke detector joke now because I love stuff that we all can relate to like yeah. that. Uh, and that is solvable, but they're like, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> The number of people that this is saved from a fire for overlapping with the number of people that have bashed their head through a wall, you know, to make the sound stuff. I think now you're speaking like speaking like me now. (laughs) When we worked in Oxnard, you you made a really wonderful comment, which I think is the healthiest attitude about your talent. And you said, I don't necessarily want to be a star. I just love to work. And I just thought that was uh so many people would become stars if they would just take that attitude and become a star if it's organic and it naturally happens. Yeah, so, I, I I don't know how I, I don't know how people I, I think that's why you have so many stars that get messed up when they get fame because they're not doing it because they like it they they're doing it to become famous. Then when you get it, then what do you do? You know, it's just kind of yeah. hollow at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, um, you have to love the craft of it. It's really clear that you love the craft of it because oh, you yeah. get to like you know create these cool graphics that everybody's relating to and seeing their own lives in a new fresh way you know i heard a great interview with seinfeld once and i think uh, not that i can comparing myself to seinfeld but uh he, he was saying that his it, he's hard to be married to because he's just constantly writing jokes you know because if you think about his in the minutiae of life but i i kind of am that way it's just the way my brain works i just when i see things i immediately think there's got to be a better way to do that or there's a different way to do that i just it's the way my brain works it's i just managed to to market my uh, my brain function that's all that's i did that's really. so cool i you love have that have to be a disciplined writer too you're disciplined yeah. seinfeld is the world's most disciplined writer he writes a couple yeah. hours every day so there yeah no and i I'm not like him in that respect, but I am constantly writing. And, and uh, you know, I every I think corporates keep me sharp because when I do a corporate show, I customize so much. I'm writing jokes for every corporate I do. And I've written some great jokes that nobody outside like the uh, <laughs> the the power washer industry would ever get, you know. Hey. <laughs> but did but the- uh, that's why I had to share with you that airline joke. It's actually one a lot of people would that's get. That's a good but, uh, joke. I love that. Yeah. yeah so I thought I, I, I love it when I can. Yeah, when I can bring, you know what it really is, Fritz, and you understand this as a comic, and, and you too, uh, for that matter, Louise. Mm-hmm. But if you can, t- we've we've seen so many comics through the years. Sometimes you can take a premise that they have and apply it in a new area, and it's. I don't think that's that's not stealing. It's mm-hmm. it's reapplying a thought and then coming up with a new joke. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. not. You know, it. And I do that all the time. It, it, that, that's kind of what that $40 extra thing, you know, for the fork is. It's mm-hmm. it's not a really unique idea, but it's never been applied there before. Exactly. So. Which makes you happier, a small, intimate venue or 10,000 people in a convention center? You know what? A great little crowd is better than anything, I think. Cause I feel I, like you're making an emotional connection to them. Oh, and I like talking to them. I can't talk to 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I love you didn't know me in my early days of comedy, Fritz, but before I did PowerPoint, which was a long time, 10, 10, 12 years, I would talk to the crowd a lot. And I, I wasn't Jimmy Brogan, but uh, I would <laughs> I would talk to the crowd a lot. And I love to come up with bits off the, the fly. I did this. I still remember this one bit. There was a guy in Rooster T Feathers. 
I asked him what he did for a living, you know, very, very Jimmy Brogan like. And he said he's a garage door estimator. And I swear I did 10 minutes on that. I just went, how hard is that? Your car is this wide. The garage door needs to be this wide. And then I just I it just went on and on and on. And I it, it, it really was my writing process live. And it, that's the best. It's the best. Do you? Yeah, it's like hang gliding naked. That's what I've heard. Yeah, oh yeah, and they, nobody wants to see that. No, uh, and <laughs> and so you like the smaller venues. Well, that's basically where I've worked with you: clubs and small and medium sized theaters, and it works out beautifully. Yeah, and we do a lot. You know, Fritz does so much uh, charity stuff and fundraising stuff, and they're the best crowd. They're just yeah, they appreciative. They clearly have good hearts. They're there to raise money, and they're mm -hmm. smart. Uh, yeah, I, it, those are the the funnest crowds for me. And How did the PowerPoint presentation uh, uh, arrive? You started as a straight stand. Oh, it, it, there, it was a very distinct moment. I remember it very well. It was 1999. Um, it was January of 1999. I was emceeing uh, a three-day sales conference for Mentor Graphics, which is a software company that the VP of sales was an old sales guy I used to work with when I was an engineer. His name is Don Malsby. And Don brought me in because he knew I was a comic. And I'm just emceeing and I'm doing my regular act. And then there's this guy whose name, his first name was Herb. I forget his last name. Did this horribly boring PowerPoint presentation. I mean, terribly boring PowerPoint presentation. And I turned to Malsby and I said, Don, can I have his slides? And he goes, well, what are you going to do? I go, I'm just going to get up there and rip on how bad that was. And he goes, we want you to do that. We hate his PowerPoints. Go do that. So I put it up there and I wrote some jokes to go with all the slides, like different interpretations. And it worked so well. Oh, and my. it was like a thing went on in my head. I went, why have I not been doing this all along? And that was the day. I remember it very well. Do you do all the artwork for your own slides? Because some of them are I very do. complex pieces of art artistic I do. endeavor. I do, and it, and I can only thank Photoshop for that because I have no artistic ability. So but you, I am. I I got really good at. Uh, I'm probably. In fact, somebody from um, a, a, an art studio called me about my PowerPoint once and asked me about how I did some of my slide animations because I really do use PowerPoint outside the norm. And I go, "What well, you can do this and this and the little hacks that I've figured out through the years." So PowerPoint plugins. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you, usually, comedians get joke ideas from their relatives. Do you get pie chart ideas from your relatives? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I get people send me charts all the time. It's actually pretty funny, but I love charts. Charts. A chart is worth a million words. A picture's worth a thousand. Chart's worth a million. That's Ooh. So I, I want to talk to you about, um, and this is inside baseball, uh, how your bookings changed after America's Got Talent. Because I've just seen it in a couple of club experiences where you've blown up. You're selling lots of tickets. Has 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 it increased all over the United States? Do you find yourself getting... Uh, well, in the two markets I care most about, the corporate market is is insane right now. I, 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 have, I think I have 20 corporates in December between Christmas parties and other stuff. It's just insane. Um, and I definitely tapped a nerve. The court, the, the 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 corporate people, uh, they must have family that watches America's Got Talent because industries I'd never heard of. Like I'd always been pretty big in 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 the tech industry. Dell's, the Apple's, they have all hired me many times through the years. But now I'm doing all kinds of industries. I'm doing a, a trucking company. I'm doing a a, a, a boat. I mean, it's just every industry you can imagine because they need clean comedy. So that's mm -hmm. gone through the roof. Mm -hmm. And then. Um, Comedy clubs, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of shows around the country and 
my I have an agent. One of the things I got through this was an agent because I needed help booking all this stuff. And he has worked with other comics similar to me. And what they found is that rather than go in and do a weekend, we come in and do an off night and just do one night. And then I can sell out the place and I can really see the draw that America's Got Talent is bringing because it's just one night and just me. Mm-hmm. And it's we've been close to selling out almost everywhere I've gone to. I go to Raleigh this weekend and I think we're close to sold out there. Uh, I'm there on Sunday. And that's like the research triangle. So I, I figured I'd do well there. But it's uh, it was way better than I thought. I mean, it's just the reach has been amazing, way more than I thought it would be. Well, I think your presentation lends itself so perfectly to corporate and, you know, you can tailor yeah. your act and then everyone's relating to what they usually are doing when they're together, which is looking at something on a screen and listening to someone talk, but you're mocking it. So the laughter can be explosive because it's just it's so close to home, but they're sharing it with one another. They've they've yeah. shared, they're looking at each other like, yeah, just like, the you know, that last meeting we were at, like they're they've shared these ex- work experiences and now they're sharing you. And yeah. it's so relatable. And, and and PowerPoint has set the bar really low in terms of not being funny. So the fact that I'm funny <laughs> at all is good. Yeah, that that is. It's has, been great. Have you offended anybody important at any of these events that's come up to you afterwards and not been pleased? Offended? Oh, I have to think about this for a second. Tell the story. That you I, told I'll me. tell you this. I'll tell you this story. This is my favorite story about political correctness because... This is so IBM. I'm not even going to tell you who it is. It's IBM because this is so IBM. Uh, I did this thing called uh, Golden Circle. It's the top performers for IBM salespeople. And it's in Hawaii. They take them there for Hawaii for five days. And it's huge event. Very important. But IBM, I happen to know because I worked for them for many years, is very controlling. You know, they want. So I had to go through my whole act. You know, I had to script it out. So I'm. they approved it all. I'm going through the rehearsal because we got to rehearse it, right, before we present it to the people. I tell a joke. Now I'm in Hawaii and I tell this joke and I go, uh, and I'm just talking about all the activities they're going to do. I wrote jokes about their activities and I go, yeah, and you go to Luau, just be careful about the poi. There's a reason why they call it poi because when you eat it, you'll go poi, poi, poi. I mean, stupid little joke, okay? The minute I tell this joke, I see eight heads gather in like a huddle and they go, hold on. I see a hand go up and go, hold on. And there's this talk for like two minutes. And finally they break. And the one guy, the head person comes up and he goes, uh, we don't want you to do the poi joke. And I went, okay, I, well, well, I'm just curious. Why not? They go, well, it's a, it's a sacred route here in Hawaii. We don't want to insult the native Hawaiians. So drop the poi joke. So wow. that's the kind of thing that happens. You told me another circumstance kind of like that where this woman, you had to run everything by her in human resources and it was a whole series of jokes that that you tell, do you remember that specific one where- I do this just happened like four or five months ago. Yeah, in fact, I want to do a bit about it on stage just and see if people can guess what the problem is. Uh, You know, it's so interesting when somebody calls you out on political correctness and then you see where they're coming from. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like you can see their issues. So I have a bunch of jokes. I'll, I'll give you the best example that I can. And I had a great argument that I didn't share with her, but I'll share it with you guys. So I do a thing where I take the terminology in any industry and I, I write jokes uh, like voice recognition. That's what you rely on after you called somebody and forgot who you were calling. You know, that's what you're like. Hello, could you talk some more? That's the stupid jokes like that. <laughs> so, and then I, my idea is once I attach jokes to your terminology, next time you hear that 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 term you'll be talking to a colleague and you'll think of my joke and go and you'll laugh next week or whatever Mm -hmm. so one of the jokes i do is pop three which is an email setting right pop three 
And the joke is that's your mom's third, your mom's third husband. <laughs> pop three, pop three, your mom's third. Stupid little joke, right? Not, a, I would have got rid of it in a second, actually. But I said, why do you want me to get rid of that joke? She goes, well, it, in, it implies divorce and we don't want to talk about divorce. Wow. Wow. And I thought, yeah, exactly. Wow. Won. Thank you. I hope Thank the you, check Fred. was big enough to stay there and take I think that. it struck a nerve with one individual person. Yeah. Like, well, well, yeah, I know, exactly. Whoever that person was had an issue with divorce and thought that it might offend some. I, I don't even, I'm not even sure why, but the, the fact that we all, I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't have divorce in their family or their friends or that. I mean, what? We can't talk about divorce. Anyway. Or being, my a, point being a widow. My point should have been to her was, what makes you, this really, I think this really tells you a lot. I said, what makes you think that's a divorce joke? Maybe the first two husbands died. <laughs> Maybe she killed them. There's nothing that says divorce in that joke. Oh, that's very interesting. It's Isn't that interesting? When I, and when I thought of that, I went, you're listening with your subjectivity. Right. You're not hearing what I'm saying. That's you're hearing what you want to hear. We're, and that was the best example of that kind of thing. Yeah, so, and I think we all do that. We all oh, listen yeah. with our with our own experiential information but a lot of people try to then you know so you'll have your immediate reaction but then you'll try to broaden it and imagine how other people are hearing the same thing some people aren't able to do that they yeah, just stay yeah, here yeah, yeah. yeah go ahead you, no i was gonna say i do an alzheimer's joke and i i had my mother-in-law i watched her eight years go down uh the, the alzheimer's past it's just horrible experience breaking yeah but when I hear somebody tell an Alzheimer's joke, I don't think they shouldn't be telling that joke. What I think is, well, that's actually kind of funny, actually, because if, if you have anybody with Alzheimer's, you, if you don't laugh through some of it, you, you're just going to cry constantly. So mm -hmm. you need to be able to laugh in times of despair. So that's one thing. Second thing is, just because it's upsetting to me doesn't mean it's upsetting to somebody else. I'm not going to impose my 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 issues on somebody else but people do it all the time it's just amazing it's just like i i did a joke once i don't think it stayed in my act but i did a joke about uh my grandmother like finding out later that my the reason my grandmother had such a flat personality was that she had received a electroshock or oh wow uh you know, during the 40s when they thought that would be a better idea than depression. And I, I don't know what the joke was, but like someone came up to me and said, you know, I don't think that's funny. Uh, you know, my so-and-so had electroshock and I'm thinking, I just told you about my grandmother having it and I was okay enough with it to turn yeah, it really? into a joke. So like, well, I was it so offensive to you? And like no one's saying that, you know, you sh we shouldn't have compassion for those who are, who are struggling. But yeah, sometimes if, if something does hit home for someone, they feel like they have the ownership to walk up to you and tell you. I know. It's also the time we're in. Everybody, that, that's part of the divide is everybody wants to legislate everybody else's morality. That's exactly yes. where we are, yeah. politically and spiritually and everything. Well, we had, Kathy Ladman was on, and she said that on a, on a, on a cruise ship very recently, one person complained about one joke and they told her to, uh, for the rest of the cruise not to do her act again, even though it was scheduled. And I said, well, what gives one person on a cruise ship veto power over your act? And it was, you know. I've heard that from other people, too. If they get one yeah. complaint about you, it's over, which is ridiculous. Comedy is very subjective anyway. You know, and why would you hire me? You know. Right. Yeah, so, it, uh, it's, 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 it's silly. Uh, it, it just, uh, it, it, it's. 
I think it's it's based in the litigious nature of our society. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they're afraid they're going to somebody's going to sue or something, and they don't want that, so they'd rather shut it down. It's just it's stupid. It's, you know what uh, I think uh, it is more than that, even Don Yelp. What? It's Yelp. <laughs> Because everyone has a voice on the internet and one bad yeah. Yelp review brings down your rating. So they're really afraid of like Twitter and, uh, you know, what you're going to say online. I think that's more frightening yeah. than, than a lawsuit. Did you start comedy in the Bay Area? I did. Yeah, I, I worked. I was working in San Jose at a startup company and uh, I started uh, open mics around San Jose and then went up to San Francisco. I did the other cafe with I remember one night. I think it was my third or fourth night on stage. They bumped me because Paula Poundstone came in and did 30 minutes in front of me. Oh and I God. went up and con- proceeded to eat it for uh, like Aww. five minutes. Uh, yeah, that's happened so, before. Yeah, boy. But when you're an open micer and that happens, it's you're awful. like, oh, yeah. Kills you oh, my night. God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. I was like, maybe I should give this up. I, that's Paula Poundstone. No, Come I on. know. <laughs> I know. I'm here to provide a contrast to the talented person that just. (laughs) That's happened to me. Uh, The notorious time hog was Byron Allen, who would come into the Laugh Factory and want to do a guest set and go on for 45 minutes and just screw the rest of the lineup completely. No, they would call it, they would like proudly, like Damon Wayans is a champion at this too. They call it walking the room. They do it on purpose. They just want to be up there messing around. Maybe they'll come up with a joke while everyone's kind of like entranced that they're looking at Damon Wayans until they're yawning and then they they walk. But like mm-hmm. if your name is on the lineup after one of these guys walk in, and I've actually heard them telling young comics, oh yeah, one day you're going to be able to walk the room and like people yeah. going, why would I, you know, my act is supposed to have a beginning, a middle and an end. I'm supposed to end on my best joke. Like why would I want to do it? It's like a power trip. Mm-hmm. It felt like a power trip to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you working on now? You're just kind of like, uh, when you go places, are people unmasked? Are people like happy to be back together? Do people think that, that the pandemic is over? How are people out there sort of like enjoying comedy right now? I, I'll tell you, just in the last two months, I, I, I didn't even know there is a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just, I don't see anybody wearing masks. I was in Nashville, Huntsville, Tacoma, Temp- nobody's wearing masks. It, the clubs are are i'm getting your full crowds it's it doesn't seem like anything's different even airports airports are pretty crazy right now during the pandemic were you doing zoom shows oh i did so many zoom shows i am well you know my setup that's why i set up the uh the the, the periodic chart and like that's a that that thing over there is a tardis if you're a doctor who fan Uh (laughs) oh okay which stands for time and relative uh, dimensions in space. It's a time machine, and it doesn't really work because I wouldn't be here if it would. I'd be somewhere in like 1989. I did a couple, and to me, it was the most gut wrenching experience you can experience. Well, you, you gotta, gotta tra- unmute the crowd. You gotta unmute the, unmute crowd, the crowd and, and do and do screen share like I'm sure Don does yeah. to show his powerpoints, right? Well, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I do. I do. I do. I can split my screen, and I basically do a two man show with my face and my powerpoints. That that oh. helps a lot for me. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, no. In fact, uh, I, I could probably show you. Well, no, you, you can't see it. We're on the podcast. But uh, it's it's pretty cool little software package. I'm glad I invested in because my act better than most comics works on works on Zoom. In fact, I'm still doing I'm doing two Zoom shows the first week of December. It, it, this is really interesting, too. I am doing shows around the world now, thanks to Zoom. I'm doing one for India on December 5th. I got to do it at 3 a.m. because it's at noon Indian Standard Time. Oh, no, it's 12.30. They're a half an hour off That's in Mumbai. I have no idea how they got a half an hour off. But, hmm. It has um, to do with the rotation. There's probably a chart that explains this. 
I got to work on that. I'm yeah. going to explain it at that <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think that would be huge. So you see, I did a like, show for South South Africa. I mean, there's nerds everywhere, and oh, uh, yeah, I've reached a whole new audience thanks to to uh, to COVID. So that's so. I call those COVID blessings or pandemic blessings. Or you, well, my you know. wife, my wife actually will tell you. She goes. And she tells my family, I hear her on the phone going, Don McMillan is the only one who thrived during COVID. <laughs> yes. he, he, was, he was already used to social distancing because he was an engineer. You so and, it was very comfortable. It was you and the ring light people. <laughs> You've done huge. I did more more Zoom shows. I was busy. I was. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I made a lot of money, but I, I was busy. I stayed busy. But you seem like the guy that they would create a sitcom around because you have such a distinct or specific character. Yeah, where were you 30 years ago when I moved to L.A.? Mm. <laughs> I, I I got lucky enough to pitch to uh, CBS and NBC and those guys when I when I first came. But I didn't have the PowerPoint then. I didn't have as defined a character then. So I think that's really what it just took me a little while to figure it out. And once I figured it out, I think if I were 30 right now, I could probably sell a show. But since I'm 60, you would have been a great looking. physics teacher on the Big Bang Theory. Or something. I, you know, I, and Bill Prady, one of the executive producers, and I pitched a show the year before he sold uh, uh, Big Bang that was basically about, I called it Think Tank. It was about a bunch of engineers who sat around at work trying to solve relationship problems with their relationship problems using idea. their Think Tank theories. Oh, that's and, so cool. Um, Chuck Lorre came in the next year and worked with Bill and said, no, nah, no, nah, you got to make it younger and put more sex in there. And it sold and it became the Big Bang Theory. Oh, um, but I always thought maybe Bill would call me and 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 make me like what maybe uh, you know Sheldon's Sheldon's physics teacher mentor. and mentor oh, yeah. or something. Never <laughs> yeah, happened. Absolutely, never happened. All right. Well, so where where can people find you and uh, how do people catch? I'm right here. Uh, yeah. no. <laughs> uh, Please check out his YouTube videos. They yeah, are very I, very entertaining. Yeah. America's number one nerdy comedian. Technically yeah, I, funny, and that's your website, and there's lots to find on there. Plus, you've got a really cool YouTube channel. Yep, I've got a lot of subscribers on my YouTube, and my Instagram has taken off since America's Got Talent. America's Got Talent is really into Instagram, and uh, I've got like 20, 30 million views on some of my Instagram uh, uh, stuff. Yeah, so, so we'll, we'll find you there, and we'll add all these links on our show notes. And uh, we just want to thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to now read our closing credits. I'm so glad I'm enjoying watching you surf this wave, my friend. Congratulations. Oh, well, thank you. It's, you know, I always love working with you, Fritz. So I appreciate it's, uh, it. Well, we'll do it again. So right, well, invite me to open for you for $13 <laughs> at the Oxnard Liberty Live. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. We would love to continue this conversation with you on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediaPathPod, and on Facebook, where our show page is MediaPathPodcast, and our Facebook group is MediaPath with Fritz and Wheezy Podcast Community. You can find full video podcast episodes loaded with bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediaPathPodcast. You can write to us at MediaPathPodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please give us a nice rating on Apple Podcasts and talk about us nicely on social media. You can sign up for our fun and dishy newsletter at MediaPathPodcast.com. And we want to thank our wonderful guest, Don McMillan. Our team includes Dina Friedman, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, Garrett Arch, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Palanker, here with Fritz Coleman. Be well and be wise, and we will see you along the media path. That was awesome, Don. Just awesome. Oh, that's fun. Oh, we got to listen to that applause. 
See that? Oh, my God. The house is... That's 2,500 people right there. So stay right there. We're going to take a picture of ourselves in front of...